0: Welcome to Grace Hills Church as we celebrate Good Friday. In in many ways, calling
1: it Good Friday just seems so uh, unusual or not right because we think about what happened to Jesus and it was it was far from good. But it's known as Good Friday because the good that He does for us because His sacrifice was sufficient. And so as we think about the cross, and that's really what Good Friday is all about, we look forward to the joy of Easter morning as Resurrection Sunday celebrates the victory that was won. But Easter doesn't happen apart from what happens on Friday, and so we just really ask you to make this a meaningful time to reflect on what happened when Jesus went to the cross. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people, and Father, we thank you for people who might be here for the first time or have been with us for a long time. We pray that in the midst of the words that are spoken, the songs that are sung, uh, the time of remembrance that we might really reflect upon the cross, that we might remember though the price of our relationship with you is free from our end, it costs Jesus everything. Help us to remember the cross, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin this evening by thinking about the cross, by singing the wonderful cross.
2: when I survey the
0: The Gospels record the last six hours of Jesus being on the cross, and he endured the great
1: pain and the ridicule of all those around him. But in the, his suffering on the cross, he made some statements, seven statements. They're often, they're often called the seven last words of Jesus, though they were more than a word. One of, the, one of the statements is one word, but it's really his last testament to us as far as what he was accomplishing on the cross. And so as we have opportunity to reflect on Good Friday and what was done, we want to look at his last statements that mean so much and tell us so
0: much about who he is and what he did on the cross for us. And I'm going to begin with the first word this evening, and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 23.
1: And it begins this way in verses 33 and the first part of verse 34. When they came to the place called the skull... There they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You know, when you think of this first word of Jesus as he is suffering the pain of being crucified in a public manner, and as he thinks about what he is experiencing, not only the physical pain, but all the sins of the world can be placed on him. He's not thinking about himself, but he's thinking about us. He's thinking about the people that were created in God's image, the the people that that God, from the very beginning, decided and desired to have a relationship with him. Uh, But there is something that broke that relationship, and and that is our sin. And and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, a, a payment for all that we have done. But as you think about him being on the cross, the thing that is so amazing is, is as they were participating in the most horrific sin in all the history of the world, they were taking the one who claimed to be God and was God. they were taking the one who was the savior for the world. They were taking the one who was the only one who would be willing and capable of forgiving us of our sin. And, and in the midst of that, Jesus said, "I'm not going to hold this particular sin." In their account. It doesn't really matter who is doing it and why they're doing it. This particular sin is not going to be unforgivable. And when you think about that, that really speaks it to the heart of God. As you look at how He sees us, He sees us as ones that He wants to rescue, that He wants to give a pardon for. There are many that as they they wrestle with their own lives and as we all wrestle with our own lives, sometimes we get to that place in our life where we think, well, how could God love me? How could God forgive me for all that I've done in my life? How could God forgive me of certain things that are so bad that I've done? And yet, as we think about the, the first word or the last words of Jesus, the last statements of Jesus on the cross... What he's saying to them who are crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't really realize who Jesus was. They didn't realize what Jesus had come for. And, and so Jesus said, don't hold this to their account. You know, we have a statement in our world, and our, our nation, that ignorance is no excuse. If you're caught in something that's wrong, then you're held accountable and though they were ignorant, um, God was not going to hold that to their account because he's willing to forgive them. That's what grace and mercy is all about. And, and so as we think about why we're here, what we're here is to remember is that, that God loved us so much that he sent his son so that we might have life. In First John 4, 10, it says this, and this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sin. You know, when you think about it, the only unpartable sin, the only unforgivable sin is the rejection of who Jesus is. The one that was on that cross came to forgive us for all that we've done that are wrong. And it's our challenge to respond to him by trusting in him and what he's done for us. Reflect on Jesus being the one who forgives us of the worst that we've
0: ever done because of his grace and mercy. We want to go immediately to the second statement or the second word of Jesus, and it's
1: found in that same gospel account in Luke chapter 23. And I want to read the background before we get to the particular statement of Jesus. And it begins uh, as Jesus continues on suffering on our behalf. As he was being beaten and scourged for all that he had done and experiencing excruciating pain on the cross, those around him cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking out. Even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, "'He saved others. Let him save himself.'" If this is the Christ of God, the chosen one, let him do another miracle. Let him rescue himself. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals who were hanged there were hurling abuse at him saying, are, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the under the same sentence of condemnation? And, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And here is the second statement of Jesus, the second word that speaks into his heart in what he was to do. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And this is the good news of the, the Good Friday account of the life of Jesus and the, and the death of Jesus, is that, that Jesus came to die so that we would be rescued. And when we think about rescue, we all have, always have to ask the question, well, rescue to what? Well, here was a man who was guilty of crimes to the degree that he was to be tortured for his crimes to people in the state and the government of that day. And, and, and yet, as he recognized his own guilt, he, he turned to Jesus and just pleaded that Jesus would remember him. And, and Jesus gave him the promise, today you will be with me in paradise. You now, what's interesting about that word paradise is that word paradise is only used three times in the New Testament. Once here, another time in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, and another time in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. And every time it is used, it is used in, in such a way that we know very clearly that what he means here is, is by paradise he's talking about heaven. The, the word paradise is often put together with garden. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have the same word when it was translated from the Greek language, that it's the Garden of Eden. And really what it does, it speaks about that place that God has prepared for those who know him and love him. And so here he was speaking to someone who really, at the last moments of his life, realized who Jesus was and is. And on that Good Friday, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And based on that faith and commitment to him, Jesus said, today you will be with me in that place which God has prepared for those who know him and love him. You know, what's interesting about that is often what we wrestle with is what happens when people die, and particularly even believers. Where do they go? Do they go to some strange, distant place? But the Bible says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, there are some descriptions in, in the Scripture about what heaven's going to be like or what paradise is w- what's going to be like. It, in some ways, you could say, because it's a related word, it's going to be like, like the Garden of Eden revisited. It's going to be the best of all that God has put together. It's a place, and it's a place where we'll experience the fullness of God's goodness. But above all else, what it is, it's a place where where God resides. And so when we think about heaven, we're gonna be in a place where Jesus lives. We're gonna be in a place where Jesus, the provider and the healer and the redeemer, the one who loves us in such an amazing way will be there. And we'll have a very personal relationship with the living God. And so when we think about this Good Friday experience, when we think about reflecting back about what has happened 2,000 years ago, it's that place in which we remember that, that Jesus, at the heart of who he is, even on the cross, was willing to forgive people for what they were doing to him right then, which really speaks to us that he, he's willing to forgive us for whatever we've done if we repent and turn to him. And then secondly, it just reminds us that, that who Jesus is, he's the one, even in the end of our life, if we honestly and completely turn to him, then we have the promise that when this life ends, That next moment when our life ends here, we'll be with him in the place he's prepared for us. What a great hope in the midst of all that happened on that day that we can be forgiven and we can have assurance that we'll be with God forever.
0: As we come now to this third statement that Jesus made
3: from the cross, we look in Scripture and we find that there was four women gathered at the foot of the cross along with one man. John 19.25 tells us that Salome was there. She was Jesus' aunt. And then there was Mary, the wife of Clopas. She's there. And then there's another Mary, Mary Magdalene. That's a woman that had been rescued from demon possession by Jesus. These three women, again, are at the foot of the cross. And there they are listening to what Jesus says. And as they are there, there's obviously another Mary that's there. And that's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so these three women are there to support their dear friend, to comfort her in this deepest, darkest time that she's facing right now as a mom. And so here's Mary as they're standing there, John writes it this way of what took place next from John 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. Words of Jesus from the cross. As he's hanging on the cross, it amazes me that Jesus took time to care for his mother, to be concerned about her. I mean, as I thought about that, I imagined the heartache, as possibly as best as I can, that Mary was feeling at this moment. I wonder if the thought of her putting her kisses on his once small forehead that now had a crown of thorns. I wonder if the thought went through her mind of the day when she was moving those once little hands that are now nailed to the cross. as she's there looking up at her son, I wonder also if Mary reflected on that day long ago that her and her husband Joseph went with Jesus and took him to the temple. I wonder if the words that Simeon said to her at that time as recorded in Luke 2 came to mind at this point. Words like this, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Perhaps she didn't understand then, but I'm pretty certain she understood now, on this day, at this moment, there at the cross. No doubt that sword pierced through her soul. The emotional pain that she had to feel at that moment is like something we can't probably comprehend. But Jesus did. He understood what his mother was going through. And he also understood her needs as well. Needs beyond what Salome and Mary and Mary Magdalene could do on their own. Which is why we look and read in scripture that he looks at his disciple John who's standing there. And he says this, here is your mother. And from that time on John took Mary into his home. Now, being the firstborn that Jesus was and the eldest, that made him responsible for, G, for, for Mary's well-being. Furthermore, with that, recognizing that there is no one there to care for Mary, he, of course, then gives that instruction to John. So those are a couple statements there that and one you know, can get can brought together from the dear woman, here's your son and here's your mother. So I thought, well, what lessons can we learn from what Jesus said there? From those words. One lesson is this Jesus knows and cares for every need that we have. Jesus knows and cares for every need that we have. That's salvation, that's your daily needs, that's your emotional needs. It's whatever the need is, Jesus knows and cares about that. That's a lesson that we can take from these words. A second lesson is that Jesus places a high value on family, He places a high value on family. His immediate family, which, is, which would be applicable to us as well, that we're to have a high value on that and his church family, that's you and that's me in the body of Christ. And last lesson is that Jesus modeled what it means to be other-centered. He modeled what it means to be other-centered. His first words were concerned about those who were before them, before him on the cross, which he asked for forgiveness for. And then it was the thief, and now it's his mother. So here's three lessons That we can take from these, that if we're willing, we can apply to our lives and put into action so
0: that we may honor Christ with our lives. We now come to the fourth statement that Jesus made from the cross, and it's this
3: from Matthew 27, verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You probably have heard that phrase before, right? Well, this fourth statement that Jesus made from the cross, I want to submit to you is the darkest statement of all. How dark? Well, I want to submit to you that it's darker than any statement in the Bible. It's darker than any virus or pandemic. It's darker than any statement that's ever been made and throughout all of history. That's how dark it is. It's the moment on the cross that Jesus dreaded more than any other. Why is this the darkest statement? Well, let me just submit to you this answer the statement punctuates a moment that, altogether at the same time, was infinitely holy and utterly dark. Infinitely holy. And utterly dark. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just recently, the night before, Jesus gave us a glimpse of how dark this moment was going to be. When he pleaded with his father with drips of blood of sweat, three times pleading this Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You see, Jesus shuddered at the thought that all the sin and everyone should be placed on him at this moment. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And so here on the cross, this is why Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it gets darker, much darker. The depth of the darkness went further. It went deeper. You see, it was at this very moment that the father had to turn away from his only son something he had never done before. Isaiah 53, 5 says, the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon Jesus. So the physical agony was unimaginably horrible. We've seen pictures of that. It's unimaginably horrible. But even worse, even darker, is the separation that Jesus experienced at this very moment from his father. So why was Jesus separated from his father? It's a good question to ask. I want to submit to you this answer. It's because God is holy. God is holy. How holy is God? Let me give you some examples. So holy that Abraham standing before him said, I am nothing but dust and ashes. How holy is God? So holy that Job in his presence said, I abhor myself. How holy is God? So holy that Habakkuk said he is of pure eyes than to behold evil. It cannot look upon wickedness. That's how holy God is. Because of the unsurpassed holiness of God, the father had to turn his back on his only begotten son. As my sin and your sin was placed upon Christ, which is why God said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me now? this moment. So what truths can we learn from these words of Jesus from the cross? Well, one that stands out to me is that Jesus was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. Jesus was forsaken by his Father so that you and I could be forgiven. A second truth is that Jesus was abandoned for a moment so that we could be with Jesus in his presence forever. Jesus was abandoned by his Father for a moment so that you and I, in a relationship with Christ, can be in his presence forever. And thirdly, last truth is Jesus entered into the darkness so that you and I can walk in the light. Jesus entered the darkness so that you and I can walk in the light. These three truths, well, in my mind, these three truths are why we call Good Friday good.
2: Save my life, yes, the blood. my life Yes, the blood
0: Why do bad things happen to good people?
4: Have you ever wondered that before? Why someone who seems so innocent can suffer so much? And we could give reasons why some of these things happen and give some kind of an explanation, but they don't answer the underlying fundamental question that has to do with purpose. We can often be confused about our own suffering, but... And the purpose of our suffering. But Jesus fully knew the purpose for his suffering. Even though Jesus lived a sinless life and and did not deserve to die, he willfully faced scorn, humiliation, suffering, and death on a cross. And he did it to fulfill the purposes of God. Our next words from the cross come to us tonight from the Gospel of John. Chapter 19, verse 28. And this is what it says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. As Jesus is hanging on the cross in the last moments before his death, as he is in anguish, as he's in pain, bleeding, gasping for air, breathing out his last breath, John shows us in this verse that Jesus is fully aware of all he's done up to this point to fulfill the purposes of God, which involve his suffering. And Jesus had uh, three primary purposes in his suffering here at the cross. Number one, the purpose of Jesus' suffering is to save sinners, to save sinners from eternal death and offer them the opportunity to have eternal life. Secondly, the purpose of Jesus' suffering is it is a demonstration of love, of his love. It's a demonstration of his loving obedience to, to the Father's plan, and it's a demonstration of the Father's love and, in, and his own love to us, to you. And while we deserve God's wrath at the cross, Jesus took on God's wrath for us. Third, the purpose of Jesus' suffering is to fulfill the scriptures. In other words, to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill all that was written about him in the Old Testament. And depending on your source, there are 332 to 191 prophecies that Jesus literally fulfills. And in case you think uh, there is a great disparity between 332 to 191, just just consider this for a moment. The mathematical probability that any one person in, in human history could fulfill just eight of those prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17th power, or 1 times 10 with 17 zeros behind it, which when I googled that, that that's a 100 quadrillion because I'm not a great math person. But the gospel writer John here in these words says that The reason Jesus says, I am thirsty, is to fulfill one more prophecy about himself. And the prophecy that Jesus fulfills about himself in this passage is Psalm 69, 21, which records how the enemies of the king offer him sour wine for his thirst. And in the very next verse in this uh, section of John, that's exactly what transpires. It's exactly what happens. So although Jesus was no doubt thirsty in the physical sense from being exposed to the, to the outdoor elements and the severe loss of blood, the text tells us that the reason he says I am thirsty is to be fully obedient to the Father's plan in the Bible and to leave you with no doubt
0: about who he is. The Gospel of John presents
4: Jesus as the Son of God, the unique Son of God, the one from heaven who left the glory of heaven and came to earth in humility, who came as God in the flesh, dwelt among us. And the reason Jesus came into the world was to seek and to save the lost. That is the whole mission of God is to redeem broken people, people broken by their sin And bring them into a right and restored relationship with Himself. When God created the world, He created man and woman in His image. And when God was finished with creation, He looked at it and saw that it was good. And not long after His creation, Adam and Eve, even though they had perfect uh, harmony and relationship with God, they decided to disobey God. And God, in, in His holiness and in His justice, had to follow through on the consequence that he said he would give them for their disobedience. And that consequence for their disobedience would impact all of humanity. It would have huge ramifications. And the ultimate consequence that God gave them was death. And death brings about separation. And that separation is not only uh, physical, but it is spiritual as well. So we are spiritually and physically separated from from God. The Bible says that the wages for our sin is is death. But we all start out in life being spiritually dead to God as well. In other words, we don't naturally run towards God. We naturally run away from God. In Isaiah 53.6, it puts it like this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Bible says all of us have gone our own way instead of God's way, and that is what sin is. It is failing to measure up to God's perfect, holy standard. In Romans 3.23, it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is that God loved you so much, he, he didn't want you to stay in a perpetual state of hopelessness, but he provided a way out for you, for you to get back into right standing with him. And in order for that to happen a sacrifice had to be made there has to be atonement made for your sin and for mine but the sacrifice can't be just any sacrifice it has to be a perfect sacrifice because God is a perfect holy God The Bible makes it really clear that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin John 1:29 says behold The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the spotless, sinless, guiltless, perfect Lamb of God, provided by God to remove sin, to remove your sin and to remove my sin. And the whole reason this was done was because of God's love for you. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So our next words from the cross are from John 19.30. John 19.30, which says this. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished means that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for sins and that has been made for God. It is only through repentance of sins and faith in the blood of Jesus, in uh, the faith of the blood of Jesus shed at the cross for you that you can be saved from the wrath of God. As Isaiah three five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. The way to get back into right relationship with God, to have peace with God, has been made through Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth,
0: and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The last recorded word or statement of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 23,
1: beginning at verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so we see that Jesus was faithful to the very end. And when it was his time to finish his payment for our sins and the suffering that he endured, he he gave voluntarily his life. No one really took it. He gave it. In John chapter 10, verse 18, he wrote these words, or he, these words are recorded of his. <clears throat> no one has taken it away from me, but I laid it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. As we know about Good Friday, that's not the end of the story because Easter is coming. Friday is today, but... Sunday's coming in which we celebrate the victory that was won. And and so we just uh, really pray that in the midst of all that we did today, in terms of singing praises to God and reflecting upon the cross, as we think about the seven last statements of Jesus, that it's given you an opportunity to spend time thinking through what Jesus has done for you. As we think about the invitations, an invitation for us to to admit our need and turn from our sins, to repent of that which is wrong in our life. It's an opportunity because of what he did on the cross to, to, put our, to really believe in him, put our trust in him, that Jesus did love us so much that he went to the cross for us. And then we have to make a choice. We've got to choose to commit to him and to follow him as, as our Lord and our God. Jesus put it this way. If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And that's the invitation he has for us. And then we, with the Apostle Paul, can say this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Let's, uh, let's spend time praying to God before we sing our last hymn, Jesus Paid It All. Let's look to him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are, you are faithful. You were faithful through your son, through all the days of his life. He lived a sinless life. He shared the words of hope to everyone who would listen, had ears to hear. He did the miraculous to not only show his compassion, but to meet people at their deepest need. But above all else, he was willing to come to you as the one who was sinless and take on the sins of the whole world. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I would pray that every one of us know where we are in relationship with Jesus. We would pray that people who haven't made that commitment would make that commitment to know him, to follow him, and put their trust in him, to surrender their lives. And we would pray for those of us who have made that commitment in the past, that we would in a new and fresh way this Easter season, in the midst of all the challenges that go around us, that we might trust you, that though life might be challenging, we know that it doesn't get any better than the knowing the living God, who cares for us so much, that He demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were yet far from Him, He gave His life for us. Thank you for this time of celebrating the cross that wasn't, was not good for Jesus, but it was good for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.)
2: Strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine own. let it home.